Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Always a pleasure here on the GM Shuffle with lots of great games to get into, including the Raiders and the Broncos, Chargers and Ravens, two 4-1 teams. And will the Browns knock off the undefeated Cardinals, currently 5-0? Well, we get to the major news of the week, of course, which is involving John Gruden. On Monday evening, the New York Times publishing a scathing article chronicling several racist, misogynistic and homophobic emails sent by John Gruden in 2011 to then-Washington GM Bruce Allen and several prominent individuals. The emails were discovered during an extensive probe into the Washington football team's alleged workplace misconduct investigation. There are 650,000 emails in total. We talked about last week the fact there was at least one email with some disparaging racial comments about Tamora Smith, and now, obviously, more and more came out. It seemed apparent the NFL was going to continue leaking the emails until either the Raiders fired Gruden or he resigned. And so John took the latter. As far as Raiders owner Mark Davis, all he said was, I have no comment. Ask the NFL. They have all the answers. The bottom line is John Gruden is out. And this is a stunning fall from grace, Mike. This guy obviously won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers, was a Monday Night Football top analyst. He gets a gigantic $100 million contract, had been, you know, mediocre results, middling along. And now he's out. Uh, You've known John Gruden a long time. Your reaction to the story is what? You know, I've known John Gruden since I met him at Philadelphia when I worked there. Ray Rhodes brought me in. I knew his name from Ray Rhodes. Ray Rhodes always saw him as a child prodigy when he was together with him up at Green Bay. And when Ray became the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, he hired John as his offensive coordinator. And John was barely 30 years old, unheard of at the time. And I met John for the first time. And I, I was, like a lot of people, mesmerized by John's persona, his ability to command the room, command the message. And then as I've learned more about John, being around him, watching him operate within the workplace, uh, I discovered that the book that I wrote about leadership, the, the project that I did for the Rams uh, in 1986, 87, that, uh, 1996 at 97, uh, proved that John was deficient in two of the three areas. I mean, so there's four areas every great coach has, and it's all about leadership. It has nothing to do with anything other than leadership. And leadership is understanding the audience and building trust to the people you lead, right? So John was very good at commanding the mess, commanding attention. He could walk in a room and you would be instantly engaged by him. And then he has this great ability to explain his messaging to you, which is command of attention, right? So he gets your attention and then he command of meaning, which means he can explain it. But then I felt like after been around him for a long time from 97 on through 2002, 2001, uh, you know, then he couldn't, then the area of self managing himself and management of trust, I thought he was significantly deficient in. And and here's why. Uh, Because he would always talk about somebody else that wasn't in the room. He he would always, you know, you never got a straight answer from him. You never felt like you could partner with him. You never felt like he was honest. And this is a completely true story. When I first met him 
after when I started working there in 96, I called a very prominent agent and I said, this Gruden guy is amazing. This Gruden guy is truly amazing. And the agent said to me, just be, just be really careful. You'll learn soon enough. And I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him at all. And, you know, yesterday or to what day, Monday, I called that agent, haven't spoken to him in a while. And I said, you know what? You told me this back in 96 and you were absolutely correct. I mean, John's inability to really build trust amongst the people that work with him is ultimately the reaction of the cause. The emails are... uh, are the symptoms, the, 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 the complete insensitivity is part of his inability to build trust amongst his peers. When I wrote Gridiron Genius on page 37, I, I talked about this. I said that, you know, Gruden had incredible communication skills. But what I learned about Gruden having been with him at two places, when we were together in Philadelphia, he would tell me how great the players were in Green Bay. You know, I had I had Terry Mickens, I had this guy, I had that guy. And I would sit there and think, what's he talking about? They're terrible. And then when he and now they're making me play with Irving Fryer, they're making me play with Jason Dumb. He used to call Jason, you know, he called names to players. Like, so these emails don't surprise you. I mean, I heard it. And Irving Fryer, the minister, you know, and Charlie Gardner and all that. These were great players. These were really good players. And he complained about them. And I'm thinking, what's he talking about? And then when I went to Oakland, he would tell me how great the players were in Philly. And I'm thinking, don't you remember bitching to me about the players in Philly? Don't you remember telling me how bad they were? Like, I have a pretty good memory, but don't you? And then somebody who did television used to say all the time that, you know, he would complain about the lack of talent on the team. And then, you know, one of the guys on the announcing team finally said, John, do you realize Rich Gannon's kind of having an MVP? But this, this area of leadership is, is reflective in those emails. He, he never could manage himself and he never could develop trust amongst the people that work for him. I mean, think about this. If you're Mike Mayock, you get hired by Gruden. Gruden that, now Gruden has complete control over the entire organization. He could do anything he wants to do within the organization. Mark Davis was completely blinded to him, completely blinded to him. I mean, the guy's a 44% winning percentage coach, but yet Mark Davis thought he was the, the Bill Walsh. He thought he was Vince Lombardi. He thought he was Joe Gibbs. He thought he was the greatest of the greats. He was completely wrong. When he hired him and gave him $100 million, he was wrong that day. I wrote about it in 18. But that's beside the point. He, the reality today is, is the fact that, you know, he hires and gives him all this authority. So they hire Mayock. Right, they hire, they bring Mayock in because Paul Gunther and Mayock are close friends. Mayock has no authority; he works for John. So, what does John do? John has David Rosano, who works for him, has him basically part of his coaching staff, but part of his, but part of the scouting staff on the second floor of the Raiders' coaching building. He builds his own draft room, while Mayock's on the third floor building his draft room. That that's subversive from within. Like you have all the authority. Why are you building two draft rooms? Why are you not collaborating and making everybody work together? Because that's part of John's inability to build trust and command himself. And and ultimately that became his downfall. 
like you said, there's so much to chew on here. Clearly, the Raiders had to do something. And they, they would have just kept leaking emails in the NFL until Mark Davis did anything, and he wouldn't have done that. So Gruden realized, okay, I have to resign. Clearly, these comments are unacceptable. It, it's not on me or you or anyone about, oh, he's a racist, he's a sexist, misogynist, whatever. This is a lot of stuff he shouldn't have said, and therefore he's out. And people are already speculating, well, what's next? How long until he returns to Monday Night Football? Will he ever coach again? I mean, a lot of that stuff is speculative, Mike. It depends on how he handles himself. He has to be apologetic. He has to be contrite. I think he has to disappear for a while too, right? Lay low for a little bit, and then you can begin your rehabilitation tour. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing TV a couple years from now at ESPN. Who knows? It's tough to project at this point. Oh, I, I, AAD, I don't think he can. They, no one's going to put him on television again. I mean, you can't risk that. I mean, these emails are so insensitive. They're over the top insensitive. And, you know, I mean, he's going to be in exile. They've taken his name down from the Ring of Honor. I mean, down in Tampa. I mean, Madden's taken him off their, their, their game. I mean, he's done. I mean, the question I have is is his brother done? Is this is this going to be collateral damage to poor Jay? Who Jay has a relationship with his brother that's kind of unique. John has two other brothers, you know, and and it's interesting because, you know, it, it, it how insensitive John was to all these all these different people in the in the country is, you know, it's almost like he never been aware of anything. Like it's never been aware of what's going on in the world. And the, the, the biggest issue to me, A.D., is this, is he chose, he chose to be best friends with the punter. I won't even say the guy's name, the general manager in Washington. That's how much I dislike him. I'm not going to say his name. And I don't, I don't like him because, A, he was horrible to my career. He spread rumors about me that I thought were unfair. He, he kind of badmouthed me to anybody he could. And actually, people listened. People listened to him. And he was able to convince two teams, the Raiders, the three teams. The, well, the Raiders, he was just the, he did contracts. But the Bucks and the Washington team, he was the president of the team. And he convinced two owners that he, he knew what he was doing. And John's inability to understand who this guy was is a reflection of who John was. It's a, it, you know, my mother used to say to me all the time, you are who you hang around with. Now, here, he's hanging around the punter, right? The punter gets them fired down in Tampa because they can't build a team together. That's strike one. The punter hires his brother, right? The punter fires his brother, and he's still friends with them. The punter's at the opening game of the Raiders when they played the Ravens as a guest of somebody from the Raiders. I can't say for sure it was his guest of Gruden's. I can't say if he was a guest of Mark Davis. I don't know who he was a guest of or if he just bought tickets on his own. But he was at the game. They have been in communication. Like, how can you maintain a friendship with this guy? What does that say about you? I don't even want to say his name. I don't want to have a friendship with them. I mean, when I worked with them, I knew it was bad. And, and, I, and I just have come to accept it, and I've moved on with my life. But I don't think that you can maintain any sense of friendship with somebody when you do this. It's really, it's really a reflection of you. And this guy, this punter, is going to take down, he took down Gruden's career, and he's going to take down the Washington football team. And he's just going to continue to smear it. I mean, AD, if you go watch the Washington football team's game against the New Orleans Saints, there's nobody in the stadium. There's no one in the stadium. 
They might've had 40,000 people there. I grew up a Washington Redskin fan, now Washington football team. Okay. I loved them. And I loved them because, you know, Lombardi died in 69 and I stayed a Washington fan from there. You couldn't get a ticket to RFK Stadium. They were the most popular ticket in the world. The value of the franchise was enormous. This guy has ruined his this team, Dan Snyder, and partly because he put his faith and trust in the punter. And the punter has systematically destroyed the team, and he continues to do so to this day. It's shocking the amount of wreckage and just how uh, explosive the situation is. We'll talk later in the podcast where the Raiders go from here. As I mentioned, they've got a big game of their own to worry about after a promising start to the season. Uh, I've now had a couple losses, now the loss their coach. But I also want to talk about Adam Schefter, who has taken quite a bit of heat as well. He is, uh, of course, as good as it gets when it comes to breaking news for ESPN when it comes to the NFL. He's plugged in. Great story on HBO's Real Sports, recent profile of him. But he's getting crushed because one of the emails was he had sent to Bruce Allen a report he was doing and said, you know, take a look. If there's any edits or revisions, you know, let me know. And people are saying that's a capital offense in journalism. Uh, Jamel Hill scorched him. I saw Keith Oberman took a few shots at him. I mean, for a guy who has journalism degrees at Northwestern, you know, he should know better, that kind of thing. But at the same time, Mike, I, I, I don't want to say I'm sympathetic, but I understand where he's coming from. I think people who work in the news gathering business that oftentimes they don't realize you give something to get something. So I know it's a bad look, but I think Schefter does a great job. And I do think it's a little unfortunate how he's getting uh, dumped on here. He's getting a little bit of collateral damage, as they say. What do you think? Well, I think that you don't understand the business of the give and take. I mean, Adam's job is to uh, get information and it's also to be off, uh, be correct. And he wasn't asking the person to write the story. He was only asking them to look it over if there was any any mistakes. And no one can say that had the punter written back to him and said, these are the three areas I think you're wrong on. No one's got, no one knows that Adam might have left that in there or Adam might have done more research. Like, I don't, I don't know why in the effort to be correct, Adam is getting blamed. You know, I don't understand. All he's trying to do is be, a, 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 is be accurate with the story. Where do most stories come from? I mean, where did, where did Woodward and Bernstein get, get deep, deep throat? You don't think Woodward and Bernstein had deep throat? They read stuff to Woodward to, to deep throat. They read it to him. They they didn't send it to him via email because there was an email, but they read it to him. What's the difference? What's the difference? I, I don't understand it. Like I don't understand what's the difference. Well, well, you know, deep throat worked. For, he worked for the FBI. We now know Mark Felt was deep throat. So they were reading stuff to somebody in the government. It's no different than Adam sending his stuff too. That he said they're just trying to be right. They don't want to put something out that's wrong. I don't know why he's taken. I don't understand the journalistic integrity that that's that's so wrong with that. I think if he would have allowed allowed the punter to write the story, then that's wrong. If he would have taken the punter's word as gospel, that would have been wrong. But you, where do we think these sources come from? Where, where, when Adam Schefter breaks a story or when Jay Glazer breaks a story or Woj breaks a story, where do we think this comes from? Do you think they're just walking down the street one day and they hear it? It's coming from sources. And you don't think, if I, if I have a source, if I said this, I'll give you a perfect example. When I said that there were closed door meetings going on in Jacksonville the Monday morning after Urban's uh, fiasco in, in, in Columbus, 
I said to the source who gave it to me, I said, if I said this, is this correct? And they said, yes. I wanted to be accurate. I didn't want to be, I didn't, I wasn't asking him to write it for me, but I wanted to make sure where I got the story from was accurate. I'm going with the source. I think it, I, I don't know how it can be construed as anything but that. I mean, it's in the effort of being journalistically correct. What you tell me, I mean, you're, you're, I'm a football guy, so maybe I don't understand this world. Yeah, I mean, listen, the exact quote from Schefter was, please let me know if you see anything that should be added, changed, or tweaked. So that's your point, Mike. He's looking for, you know, veracity of the story. He then put, thanks, Mr. Editor, for that and the trust plan to file this to ESPN. The Mr. Editor, I think, clearly is a joke. I mean, he's just being sarcastic, but that's kind of what people are annoyed by. And Schefter, for his part, did release this statement. He said, fair questions are being asked about my reporting approach on an NFL lockout strip from 10 years ago. Just to clarify, so this is to our point, Mike, it's common practice to verify facts of a story with sources before you publish in order to be as accurate as possible. That's exactly what you're saying. But Adam did say this. In this case, I took the rare step of sending the full story in advance because of the complex nature of the collective bargaining talks. It was a step too far, and looking back, I shouldn't have done it. The criticism being levied is fair. With that said, I want to make this perfectly clear. In no way did I or would I cede editorial control or hand over final say about a story to anyone ever. I think it's a very classy statement by him, and I think that kind of that should settle the story. I hope. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, you know, uh, uh, I, I think he's just looking to be authentically correct. I think, and 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 I think no one knows, no one knows what what would have happened had the punter said this is wrong. You know, would Adam have changed the story? Would he have gone back to another source to get something? We don't know that. We we don't know that. It's just like, you know, what I don't understand is we're we're seeing all of John Gruden's emails to the punter. What what did the punter write back to him? Yeah, and to your point about Bruce Allen. I mean, people are now saying, what is the next step? The Players Association said Tuesday it plans to request the NFL release the remainder of the 650,000 emails reviewed as part of the investigation. NFL spokesperson told USA Today, no plans to release those emails for confidentiality. But attorneys Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz says it is truly outrageous that after the NFL's 10-month investigation involving hundreds of witnesses, 650,000 documents, NFL and Roger Goodell must explain why they appear intent on protecting the Washington football team and owner Dan Snyder. Former employees have also reached out to major NFL sponsors, Anheuser-Busch, Amazon, and Nike to put pressure on the NFL to release the remainder of the emails. I don't think this is the first domino, Mike. I think they're just, you know, Gruden's gone and that's it. Uh, I don't know if the NFL is covering up for anybody. I do understand the whole point of confidentiality. I think a lot of people are probably, uh, you know, clearing their emails as quick as they can, terrified of what could be there. But I, I don't think that more and more of these emails should get released or will get released. You? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I think the only reason these came out is because of Schneider and and the punter are engaged in a in a debate over their salary, right? And so the, Schneider is claiming that the punter you know, was leaking stuff all along, which, you know, the punter testified under oath that he never was a source for anybody. And these emails kind of contradict that testimony. So that's why I think they got, have gotten out of disclosure, out of the confidentiality realm. I mean, I, I don't know what else could be in it. I mean, if Dan Snyder's, I think the only person that really that in of all this that we need to see is is Dan Snyder's emails like what is he what was he writing back you know because we know the punter was communicating to various different people i could say this 
Anybody who was dumb enough to send emails to the punter and was friends with the punter, you're going to be nervous until these until this is over with. That is definitely true, and that's the story for now. Who knows what the next step could be? Let's get into some game previews, shall we? All lines from DraftKings as of Wednesday morning. Raiders and Broncos, three and two. Raiders are our Broncos are three and two. We'll keep the story going with regards to the Raiders. This is a huge distraction, Mike. I mean, John Gruden is gone. Interim head coach Rich uh, Bisaccia. How would you address the team in rally? This is a huge spot to be in for him. What a mess. Well, he's got to show leadership. And I think the first thing he should do is walk in the room and say, fellas, I need to win your trust. I'm going to earn your trust. I mean, this is, we're going to start today and I'm going to earn your trust. I'm going to do everything in my power to earn your trust. I am going to stand in front of you when things go bad. I'm going to stand behind you when things go well. And every day I'm going to prove to you that what I say, what comes out of my mouth is truthful. Because the guy he's following, the players know that wasn't true. You know, I mean, there's so many stories I could tell about how that wasn't true. You know, I, I give you one example. I was talking to a coach the other day and, and he was working for a team and 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 he have, was having a conversation with John on the field. And John said, oh, man, I oh, mean, I wish I would have had that guy. I really like that guy. I wish they would have let me sign that guy. And, and the coach said, John, you run the team. Why didn't you just sign him? You see this kind of mentality we got here? So the players see through that, right? The players see through that. And the way John motivates himself is to convince himself the players were no good, that he's got to do it all himself. So I think what Pisacci's got to do is offset that. He's got to know he, he loves Gruden. He loves Gruden, loves him to death, right? And, and thinks the world of Gruden. So he's, but he's going to have to separate himself from Gruden immediately. And he's going to have to stand in front of that team and tell them, hey, here's that. I don't, I don't, I might be friends with John. I don't respect what he said. He's got to address it head on. He can't ignore it because the players know they were, they were buddies. Anybody who was buddies with John, you're going to have to deal with it. You got to look at it head on and confront it. That's what leaders do. Well, they're not. The leadership result in a victory. The Broncos are favored minus three and a half. The Chargers are the favorite in the division, but Broncos' win could be huge. I think the Broncos win, not just because the Raiders are dealing with all this Gruden mess. It's tough for a head coach to just jump on a freight train that's moving. But the Raiders have been suspect the last couple of weeks. Carr has not played well. I think Denver wins at mile high. They improved to four and two. Well, I, I think this. I think the last two weeks, the Raiders' offense has not looked good. And, and a lot of it starts with their offensive line up front. I mean, they haven't played very well up front, and that's been a real issue. You know, they move Leatherwood in. You know, and this is going to be, this is going to, Mayock's going to have to stand on his own two feet now, you know, because some of these decisions that, you know, he supported, you know, Leatherwood, he's one of the best players. They've already moved him into right guard, you know, and they put, and they put Brandon Parker over at left, at right tackle. And they did that last week and they treated, they treated Khalil Mack like he was a, like he was just some player. They let Parker try to block him one on one. You know, the kid they signed, Andre James, the center. He hasn't looked like he's been very good. Simpson, the left guard. I think a lot of the Raider problems start with their defensive front, offensive front. You know, and look, Denver last week, they played sluggish in the first half against Pittsburgh. They had a horrible pass interference call against Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller did not play well last week against Pittsburgh. He gave up a touchdown, gave up a pass interference. People are going after him. The Raiders have to go after him. One of the, one of the things I think the Raiders have to do offensively is be more aggressive and attacking players. Gruden was all about his scheme. You got to attack players. Like he's got Kenyon Drake sitting over there. He paid him 8 million guaranteed next year. The guy's not played. The guy's not played. 
He's playing Peyton Barber, which is fine, but why pay Drake all that money? It's just more and more evidence that that he had no idea how to build a team. So, I, I mean, I think Denver's just to me, Denver was really disappointing in Pittsburgh last week, really disappointing defensively. You know, where they couldn't get control of the run game. I mean, Nigel Harris had a really good day. The Raiders run the ball on this. I would take the Raiders in the points. I feel if you feel like that. But I this is a game I think you got to be really careful, lay away at best, because I don't know where this Raider team is going to be, where their head's going to be at. Greg Olson will call the plays. Gus Bradley will call the defensive plays. Basachi will manage the game. We'll see where that goes. But the one thing I will say from a design standpoint, Gruden was really good at designing an offense. They're going to miss some of that. I mean, you're paying a guy $10 million a year. If all of a sudden you start winning, then maybe, maybe you're overpaying Gruden. <laughs> Just maybe. Chargers at the Ravens. Two teams that are 4-1. and one. What a great match. Ravens are minus three. The Ravens are favored after a short week. They're trying to build off the momentum of a wild Monday Night Football win. 442 yards passing. Lamar Jackson, unbelievable as that team dug it out. And the Chargers, meantime, their defense has got a huge challenge here in trying to control Lamar. But the Ravens' defense knows they've got to work and try to cover Justin Herbert. Two superb young quarterbacks, Mike. This is a great showcase game. It's a tough one to pick. Ravens are favored minus three. I guess helped by the fact that they're at home. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Chargers go in and steal a win. What do you think? I mean, I wouldn't be either, but I, I, I don't know how, I, how you can trust Vizakiani, the, the kicker. I mean, they've got Tucker. And, and, and they've got Vizicani. Uh, Vizicino, yeah. Vizicino. I mean, they've missed four extra points already. I, I, I mean, they've missed four extra points already. Like, I, how do you bet the Chargers in a three-point game with a kicker that, that, that's just so unreliable? And they're keeping them on the team. They're keeping them. They didn't even they didn't try to replace them. Look, I think the Chargers are so talented. I think Brendan Staley's been a really good coach. Defensively, they, they struggle to stop the run. They will struggle to stop the run. There's no denying that. You know, they've got to be able to pressure Lamar, but the, the Ravens should be able to run the football effectively on him. And the way Lamar is playing, when you break down Lamar's numbers in terms of throwing the football, he has been outstanding. And they've got to control the football. They've got to let their defense stay off the field. Now, that, I say that, right? Last week, A.D., uh, the Browns had the ball 36 minutes and the Chargers still scored 47 points and still had five, almost 500 yards of offense. So controlling the ball may not matter as much as we think it does, but the reality here is simply this. You got to control the pace of the game. And this could easily be a shootout. I don't know how the Ravens are going to cover Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, you know, because Keenan Allen's really good. Mike Williams, you got to almost double him high-low because he can get down the field and make plays. And the way the Ravens really struggled to rush the passer last week against against Indianapolis, they really struggled badly to do it. And Indianapolis basically said they went after Avert, the, the, the number twenty three, the corner for the for the Ravens. They just went right after his ass. Said we're coming for you. You know we don't need to deal with Marlon Humphrey. We're coming for you. And they did, and they killed him. And that defensive front just didn't get enough pressure. You know, Calais Campbell's got six quarterback hurries. Houston's got four. I mean, the one kid that's really done a nice job for them this year is Owai. I think I'd say, say Odafe Owai, the, the, the kid they drafted in the first round. He's been really good. He's been able to really come after and pressure the passer. And he's given them some juice in the pass rush. But I don't know if they can stop the run. One of the things about the Ravens this year that I think is different is you can run the ball on them. Typically, you could never run the ball on them. And this year, you can. 
Should be a great game. Baby, they were born to run. Coming up next, NFL's lone undefeated and underdog on the road. Can the Browns ground the high-flying Cardinals? And can Philadelphia play spoiler of the Bucks? Hot run tonight. More previews next on The Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The unbeaten Cardinals are taking on the Browns. 405 Eastern. The Browns are favored. Yes, Cleveland involved in a high-scoring game just this past Sunday. Uh, they're at minus three right now, despite the fact that they've got a bunch of guys who are all questionable. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, Jadeveon Clowney, Denzel Ward. There's a bunch there. But just first thought to that, Mike, the fact the Browns are favored at home. Surprised? No, not at all. I mean, I think the Browns should be undefeated. I think the Browns are one of the best teams in the league. I think when you break the Browns down statistically, you know, they had a they had a lead in, in Kansas City in week one. They should have won that game last week. I mean, they just really stubbed their toe at the end of the game. I think that they control the ball. Uh, I think the Browns should be undefeated, just like the Cardinals should probably have a loss on them, right? I mean, the Cardinals, you know, they they lose, they beat Minnesota off of a field goal. They're five and zero. Oh. I respect them. I don't know how healthy Kyler Murray is. I think the key to this game, though, AD, is going to be can Chandler Jones play? Sounds like the tackles. For, for Cleveland are going to be able to play Willis and Conklin. So if those two guys play, if Chandler doesn't play, I think the Browns will run the football. I think they'll control the clock. I think they'll make plays. I think the Browns will win this game. And because I think that the Cardinals will struggle, the grass, going to be 20-mile-an-hour wind here in the game. 20 mile an hour wins. So it's going to really be a effective. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to throw the ball. We've seen this before last year in Ohio, in Cleveland, we saw those games where the wind was really heavy. As of right now, it's going to be 20 mile an hour. I like the Browns here a lot. All right. Interesting. If the Cardinals finally do suffer a loss, Browns perhaps going heavy on the ground, especially with those snapping winds and the mistake by the lake. Dallas at New England, four and one Cowboys. Patriots are two and three. Cowboys are minus four. Ezekiel Elliott is questionable. Mac Jones against DQ's aggressive defense. Uh, New England, listen, at home, home underdog, but Dallas, you get it whether four and one. But that's the focus to me, Mike. What does Mac Jones have to do against this Dallas defense, which I'm telling you is better than advertised and could cause some real problems for him, particularly Micah Parsons? Yeah, I, I think this, AD, I, I think Dan Quinn deserves a ton of credit. You know, what I wrote today for the Daily Coach about how Gruden had that time off to get away from football and really focus on his leadership. And he came back to exactly the same person. 
never really acknowledged that he had any deficiencies in leadership. You know, Dan Quinn did. Dan Quinn got fired. And I think he really said, I've got to change. I've got to change. I've got to stop doing what I'm doing. And I've got to be able to handle it. And he went and he changed. He's not just running Pete Carroll's scheme, which is what I thought he was going to run. He's mixing it up. He's utilizing his personnel really well, you know, and he's been very effective in doing that. So for me, you know, I think he deserves a ton of credit. I think he deserves a ton of credit as a leader because when they hired him, I wasn't sold on it. I was like, okay, Dan, you can't run cover three. Pete Carroll, that scheme's dying. And Dan Give him credit. He deserve, He decided to change, and he did, and it worked out to his advantage. Hard game for New England because New England can't score with this team. When you play the Cowboys, you're going to have to score in the 20s. You're going to have to get it up there. Cowboys are the best team against the spread in the league so far this year. You know, they can run the ball. They can throw it effectively. You know, the, the right tackle situation, that's where Judon's got to play over there, and he's got to give Steele some trouble. They've got to put pressure on Dak. And they've got to almost be able to encourage them to run, but then play the run effectively. It's going to be a really hard game for New England. The line opened up at two. It went right to four. It's funny, though. You know, AD, I I never try to look at the lines until I get my lines out, until my lines come out, and then I see it. And, you know, it's funny because when you break the games down, you know, and and you do power rankings like I do, you know, I had this game as a 3.18 game, and the line is at four. So for me, it's kind of almost like a push. I think it's going to be a really hard game. If I leaned anyway, I would take the Packers. I mean, excuse me, I'd take the Cowboys. All right, once again, you can get Mike's picks, by the way, Sunday morning on Twitter, Substack, et cetera. One more game to talk about. That's the Buccaneers and the Eagles. That's tonight. We're recording this Thursday. It's a Thursday night game, 820 Eastern. The Bucs are minus six and a half. You might think the line should be even bigger, but listen, Philadelphia is at home. They have Dallas Goddard and Lane Johnson both out, so that hurts their tight end and offensive line, although you hope Zach Hurts can step up. Eagles are coming off a gritty win. Their defense was huge against the Carolina Panthers and, of course, special teams, that big block. But, Mike, to think they can handle Tom Brady, I mean, Tom Brady's got 15 touchdowns and two picks. And even if you say the Eagles' defense plays out of their minds and they slow down Tom Brady and hold him to, let's say, 24 points, I just don't think the Eagles' offense can score enough points. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, and the only thing I would say is, look, the secondary for the Bucks is kind of problematic, but the front for the Bucks is playing better. And, you know, the Eagles, I don't, Lane Johnson's not going to play. So, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, Sue, Shaq Barrett, they're going to put pressure on handling, trying to handle this, this offense of Philadelphia, which is more reminiscent of the Oklahoma Sooners offense than it is anything. Uh, you know, the Bucs are, are so hard to challenge. It's, here, let's just analyze lines, right? So Kansas City comes back into Philly. Kansas City's a seven-point favorite in that game. They cover easily. They cover the spread easily. This game opens at six and a, at six and a half, and it gets bet up to seven. And pretty much it's sevens across the board everywhere, with no not paying no vig on the number. So you know it's it's pretty flat at seven. But to me, that tells what that says to me is the Bucks are the Bucks. And the Chiefs, the same team, it's the same number, right? I don't see it as the same team. Like, I think the Bucs are better, you know? So I was, I was surprised this line didn't open up further. But then when I look at my numbers and I see my numbers, my, my numbers, I'm at this game should be almost a six-point game. And that's quite that's right where it is. So it kind of matches. I lean towards taking Philly, and here's why. I think Hargraves and Cox have to play really well. Now, I've said that before when they played Dallas, and Dallas just hosted them. 
They played soft, but Dallas blocked them up front. They weren't going to slow Dallas down where they played man or zone. Just think it's too many guys to handle with Brady. I think the I would take the points. I think the, the Chiefs, I think the, the Bucks win, but I think it'll be a close game. Look forward to that game coming up tonight. A good one here on Thursday Night Football. The mailbag, as always, send us your questions to the GM Shuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is Jason in Phoenix. A few episodes ago, Mike mentioned scouting coordinators when determining his handicapping. You just mentioned the handicapping. I'm fascinated by this. What do you look for when scouting coordinators and their tendencies or game planning abilities? Good one here from Jason. Well, I think what you have to do is what I try to do every week is, is do the matchup, right? So I put the road team and then I put like, okay, offense for Tampa Bay, you know, Leftwich slash Brady, because Brady runs a lot of what they do offensively. It's a lot of New England's plays. And then Bowles. So Bowles versus Seriati. How do you grade that? And then what I try to do is I, I grade each coordinator, blue chip, red chip, average, below, and then bad. You know, and, and, and it's not just basically based all set on numbers. It's basically set on, you know, performance of the last weeks. And every week I go in and I tweak it. You know, every week I go in, like, I, I got to be honest, I was never a Kellen Moore fan. I've never, I thought Kellen Moore was just calling plays. I think this year he's done a much better job. I was never a Dan Quinn fan. I thought that defense was really bad. Dan Quinn, I, I really moved him up quite a bit. So I think when you look at Dallas and New England, you've got two really good coordinators going against one another. McDaniels versus Quinn, Belichick versus Moore. You know, so now, you know, who gains the advantage? Probably nobody. So the line is the line there, right? Whereas when you go into Kansas City versus Washington, you know, you got Andy Reid versus Jack Del Rio. I like that one for Andy Reid. So you're going to give a little bit, you're going to give something there. You know, Spagnola versus Scott Turner. You might favor Scott Turner here because Spagnola's defense isn't playing very well. You know, and do they know how to handle it? What's been the history between Turner when he's ever played against the Spags defense? Then you go start looking that stuff up. That's, to me, the essence of the game within the game. And if you're picking these games and you're recommending it, you want to make sure you have the right side of the coordinator. You want to have that. You want to make sure that you've got a blue chip coordinator going against an average coordinator, which is what I think is going to happen in this Tampa-Philadelphia game tonight. I think you got two blue chip coordinators versus two average coordinators. So there's going to be an advantage there. The line's already at seven. Is it a half a point? Is it a point? I think it's something to consider. Pretty cool. I love the fact that you go that deep as far as looking at coordinators, how they can impact everything. Um, Pop Culture Minute. How about the story with William Shatner? I mean, beam me up, Scotty. Captain Kirk, 90 years of value. This is insane to me. I'm like, I can't believe Captain Kirk, who will always be remembered with Star Trek, William Shatner, a Canadian legend. When I saw this story trending, I go, this can't possibly be true. I'm like, no, an, an emotional speech talking about space simulators and reality, struck by the fragility of the planet as he flew to the edge of space. Amazing. It's unbelievable. I mean, at 90 some years old, I mean, God <laughs> almighty. I mean, I hope the hell I'm doing that at 90. I have a feeling that I'll be, you know, I'll be walking in my walker down there wondering what time is lunch, you know? I mean, you know, it's like that, it's like that, you know, don't be like your parents, progressive commercial. Right. You know, it's like, you know, what time does this plane leave? What time do you think Group B is going to board? Two hours and 45, you know, is that classic or what, right? Or how, oh, this cart kind of goes to the left a little bit here, you know? Like, I mean, that's what I'm hoping I'm not going to be doing. Meanwhile, Shatner's going up in space. Christ, I don't want to even go. I don't even go on the Ferris wheel here in Ocean City. I'm scared of death of heights. I mean, God bless him. 90 years of age, 
He went to the edge of space, oldest person ever to do so, the Carmen line, which is 62 miles. What did they do? Did they just go up there and turn a, did they like go up to a rest area in space and make a U-turn and come right back down like we do on the parkway? That's what it felt like because he said he traveled on Blue Origin's New Shepard 4 for the 10-minute commercial flight. 10 minutes. They just went up there. Okay, I've seen the edge of space. I'm good. I'm 90 years old. Like you said, at 90, you're looking at what's for lunch. I'm going to be peeing into a diaper. Like there's a reason why William Shatner was so emotional after this. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Like, I, I don't know. Did they just go up and make the U-turn in space? But uh, <laughs> unbelievable. I got to tell everybody, I, I wish we could get them on the pod. I really do. But the Stevie Van Zant book, if you're a fan of Springsteen, if you're a fan of The, the Sopranos, if you're a fan of music, if you're a fan of Lilyhammer, or if you're a fan of, of, of Jersey and the essence of what it is and, and the mafia, you need to read this book. A, he's reading it to you, so you feel like Sylvia's reading it. You know, and I never realized until I was reading the book that Chase saw him give the Hall of Fame speech and wanted him to play Tony Soprano. And they brought him out to the audition to, you know, and he auditioned at first for Tony and they loved him. Chase loved him. When they took him out to HBO studios in Los Angeles, you know, they, they, they didn't love him. And that's when they hired Gandolfini and Chase loved Gandolfini. And so did Stevie. Stevie apparently claims in the book that, you know, he saw Gandolfini in the audition said, that's Tony. That guy's Tony or Tommy. I think at that that then it was Tommy. But the book is really fascinating. I mean, it's a portrait into Bruce that you typically are, you didn't get to see in born in his in his autobiography, and it's kind of the back and how all the things kind of commingle together. And Stevie's insistence on being political. I mean, you know, trying to stop apartheid in South Africa, his willingness to get on an airplane and fly down there and meet with some really dangerous groups to try to bridge a solution together. It's a fascinating book. I, I would really urge, if you, I, I think it's better to be listened to because you feel like Sylvia Dante's reading it to you. So that makes it even better. And, and the way he reads it is like he's talking to you. Because he's got the inflections and he's also, I'm sure he ad-libs a little bit within the book, but I would recommend this strongly because I think it also teaches us about the passion to change. And Stevie kept reinventing. Remember, this guy went from Miami Steve because he loved Miami. Then he went to little Stevie to change that from Miami. And now he's just Stevie Van Zandt. Like it's a, he's had a, like a whole way of changing himself. And through his own creativity, it's a it's a great great read. That's awesome. And like you said, books on tape. Someone's got a long drive, a good commute. It's pretty cool to actually hear the voice of the man himself. And listen, a musician, an actor, uh, he's clearly accomplished a lot. So, TV Van Zandt, the bandana lives on. So does William Shatner. Beam me up, Scotty, as we boldly go where no person has gone before. The GM Shuffle continues. We'll talk to you on Monday.